This podcast is brought to you by the Kansas City Barbecue Store, the official provider of barbecue supplies to listeners of Pitmaster. And you don't want to miss out on this discount from the Kansas City Barbecue Store. From smokers and fuel to rubs and sauces, the Kansas City Barbecue Store has everything and anything you could possibly want. Make the Kansas City Barbecue Store your one-stop shop for all your outdoor cooking needs. As a listener of the OVS Pitmaster podcast, you can get 10% off of your order this spring by using the code PITPOD, P-I-T-P-O-D, all caps, for online orders at www.thekansascitybarbecuestore.com. Welcome to another edition of Pitmaster, an old Virginia Smoke podcast. My name is Luke Darnell, the host of the show. And this year, or this year, this week, we have a bit of a different episode for you this week and i was super excited so i'm going to go ahead and tell the story of how we met first great because it's a good story cool it is a great story so a few well probably a month ago at this point i was fortunate enough to go out to fargo north dakota in the beginning of april it's beautiful that time of year lots of great weather and go with my (laughs) wife kim to the uh, Shields training event where they teach their associates about all of the different products that they have in the store. I got to go on behalf of Traeger and my wife got to go with Gateway and Blues Hawk. And in walks this woman into the room and I start geeking out a little bit. Like, I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, that's Susie Bullock from Hey Grill Hey. Like that's the TV superstar. That's Susie. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my, oh my gosh. So I walk over to Megan Day and I'm like, hey, is that Susie? And she's like, yeah. Don't you know her? You've had to have met her before. And I'm like, you know, how Megan is. She's just like, of course you've met her. And I'm like, I haven't before. And Megan's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, come on over. So, <laughs> so then we get to cook in a blizzard together. So that was fun. We did get to cook in a blizzard together. And honestly, that was one of my favorite blizzard cooking experiences that I've had. Not only did we get to cook in a blizzard, but I think the wind was rolling at like 40 miles an hour. And um, we had to cook two whole packer briskets in, what was it, four hours? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We had grilled brisket that day. It was, I like to call it an inventive (laughs) cook. (laughs) was creative on the fly we were problem solvers i only lit my grill on fire one time so my traeger only went out twice i think during the middle of the cook which i was like it was great when you're cooking at 425 (laughs) it's kind of when it dies it's kind of hard yeah (laughs) but it was fun and you actually your group did very well in the contest didn't they we did place in people's choice, and I will say that the, we made some little chopped brisket sliders with some pickled red onions and candied jalapenos and some of my sauces on there, and the sliders were delicious, um, but I think I was just benefited by proximity because I was next to Harry Sue, who won the whole freaking thing, and uh, Erica Roby, who I believe took second or third, and so I think it was just a was just a happy mix of everybody was excited about what they had and mine seemed somehow better by proximity. <laughs> See, I was going with that it was that side of the room did well. <laughs> sure. Whereas our side of the room was when people were done eating. But I also didn't <laughs> go through all that trouble of making sliders. So my group was my group was concentrating on winning the actual judge contest. And I thought they did a great job. We didn't get to hear our name called, but uh tremendous group, a tremendous company and everything they do for their employees. It was the first time I got to go out there and I thought it was a great experience. It was my first time too. It was really fun. And yeah, it's it I don't know. I think having so quick back behind the scenes of how it's actually set up is the Shields associates were the ones cooking all of the food. Like you and I were just 
you know, the coaches, we were the guides on their journey, but we weren't even allowed to touch the food. So we just sat and told them how to trim things. And the people on my team, I don't know who who you had on your team and how skilled they were, but the people on my team had never, none of them had ever cooked a brisket before. None of them had ever seen like a whole brisket in the pouch or what that looked like or how it was put together. So it was a very comprehensive start to finish. Here's how you're going to cook a brisket kind of a day. And it was uh, a pretty strong intensive. So way to go for Shields because there were some big names in the barbecue world that were there teaching people how to cook barbecue and their associates got a, a front row seat to some cool barbecue <laughs> knowledge that day. That was pretty awesome. We had one guy who used to be a butcher and he was this quiet kid, you know, very unassuming. And I kept referring to him as the butcher of Missoula. <laughs> like and then he was this like crazy person and everybody started calling him that. You could see he was kind of enjoying that he got a nickname. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so fun. Yeah, it was a fun event. I'm glad we got to make it uh to the event because the blizzard was so bad. Some people didn't even make it. Uh we were some of the fortunate ones to actually make it out on an airplane. Somehow we ended up on a flight that left when the clouds broke for 20 minutes in the middle of a blizzard, everybody else ended up renting cars and, and driving their way out of Fargo because the airport was basically closed down. It was crazy. It was creepy being in an airport like that. Yeah. With, with nobody in there, you could go to any counter that you wanted to. There's, it was (laughs) kind of surreal. uh, Slightly apocalyptic, but we survived. And now we, (laughs) we get to talk about it. Absolutely. And I just have to say that you are a fantastic person. It's been, uh, it was cool to meet you. And now we're getting to do this and getting to do some stuff in Memphis in May in a couple of weeks or yeah. Yeah. A week and a half. So that's coming right around the corner. I mean, maybe your slip up at the beginning of the podcast was prophetic because you said this is going to be a little different this year. And maybe, maybe it is, you know, (laughs) maybe this is the little bit different year, Luke, because now we know each other and who knows? You never know. Who knows? And you're not from the competition world. No. Which makes you. It's scary in there. (laughs) It makes you different than every podcast (laughs) guest I've ever had. So one of the things that I do on this podcast is I like to interview all these great pitmasters and really get into their habits, rituals, and routines as to what makes them successful. And it's very wide ranging. But in terms of one of the questions that I ask is who, who do you, who in your mind is successful in the world of barbecue? I would have to put you on my list where I think answer that question just because of the history of how you started your, your venture and where, where it's gotten to. It's quite amazing. It has been uh, a pretty unique journey. Absolutely. So I got into barbecue almost a decade ago and it was pretty organically. It was kind of a friend of a friend. I'd been working in online uh, kind of digital media, blogging, social media, working from home, um, just helping kind of small one-off businesses uh, kind of run some of their digital assets and stuff. So I had experience on the back end of, you know, websites and posting things. uh, And I loved to cook. Food was like, food was the stuff. I grew up in a food family. We had a restaurant growing up and that's where I spent my summers when I was out of school. Um, I was busing tables and washing dishes and, you know, serving people and so that became a real big part of, you know, what I what I love to do and what I had as part of my experience. So when the opportunity came up, a neighbor said, hey, you know, Traeger wants to digitize all their recipes because they have this, you know, when you used to buy a Traeger a smoker a decade ago, you would get those little spiral bound laminated recipe books that had 10 right. or 20 recipes in them. And that was pretty standard uh, across the barbecue you know, universe. It was like, you got this thing. Here's a couple of things you can cook on it. Um, and they wanted to digitize their recipe content because recipe blogs were kind of a big deal. I was an, I was an avid obsessive blog, food blog reader. Like I'm still the person that reads cookbooks as well. Like I just love, I love recipes. I love the way people cook things. I love learning about how flavors go together and different techniques and different styles. I was obsessed with the food network. I watched the food network. Todd and I like fell in love when we were dating, watching iron chef every Sunday night. Like that was our show. We did not miss iron chef. And 
so when I had an opportunity to do digital content, which I was already kind of doing from home, which mm-hmm. was necessary because I had some tiny babies at home 10 years ago and I got to try it in food. I was like, game on, like, let's go. So they dropped off a smoker and said, we just want you to update five recipes a week starting Monday. And then when you're out of old recipes, you can just start writing new ones. And I was like, you mean write a recipe? Like I not only had I never written a recipe in my life, I had never cooked on a wood-fired smoker in my life. The only barbecue that I really had experience with growing up was gas-fired, like gas grills. Um, right. We didn't even own like a charcoal. We didn't even own a charcoal grill. We had gas grills. And that that was the extent when we were having a barbecue is burgers and hot dogs. That's what I, I grew up in Utah. It's not my fault. Um, you know, we did <laughs> use charcoal a lot when we were doing like Dutch oven cooking is like a big thing out here. Utah is very like Western. Um, so kind of like that plains cooking, Dutch oven cooking. Everybody has recipes mm-hmm. for Dutch oven cooking out here. So that was the extent of my charcoal experience. And so I really, <laughs> I really had to learn very quickly not only how to cook barbecue, but how to write barbecue recipes. And luckily they were patient because I think I wrote some really terrible recipes um, <laughs> in the first little while. But, you know, you kind of learn from the bad stuff too. And I learned what worked out. My first brisket looked like a meteor. I tried the Texas crutch wrapping it in foil. I opened up that foil with that black hunk of jerky inside. And I was like, this is an actual asteroid. Like (laughs) there was something about like the burnt crunched metal around the outside and this black hunk of meat inside. I was like, I broke it. I don't know what this is, but this is not what we were going for. And uh, so it was, it was a learning curve. And so when, uh, when I stopped working with Traeger and I started my own website, uh, I've been running Hey Grill Hey for almost eight years now. Um, I wanted to create a resource for people that was exactly what I needed when I started but didn't have, because there was nothing. Um, it's, I, I don't want to say nothing. There were things, but the things that were on the internet were catered to a different audience. They were catered to, you know, professional barbecue chefs. There were forums, competitive cooks that were sharing tips on, and I had no idea they were using terminology that I didn't understand. Even coming from, you know, having a food background, there was a lot of barbecue terminology I didn't know. Um, and a lot of techniques that I had never seen before or been taught. And so just reading them described in text or just referenced, I felt lost. I was swimming in a sea that I was, you know, not qualified or trained to swim in. So I wanted to remove as much of that as possible when I started Hey Grill Hey. I wanted to remove the intimidation. I wanted to get rid of the gatekeeping. I wanted to get rid of the secrets. I wanted to just share what I had learned cooking two plus years of barbecue every single day. Um, Because five recipes a week is a lot. And when you don't get one of them right, you got to cook it again. And I was cooking all of the time. And I really got quite good. I got quite good at writing recipes that people could follow and learning how to put flavors together and learning how to use different wood to create different flavor profiles. And um, so it was a, it was a lot of practice, a lot of effort. And that was the goal when I started Hey Grill Hey. I wanted to do it on my terms and talk to people my way and give them something that they could reference. And luckily people liked that. Um, yeah, so I would say they do. People have liked it. So we have done really well. And, you know, success, I think, is an arbitrary term because success looks, looks different to everybody. But for me, uh, if I could have defined success when I started, because Todd, you know, I, I was done working at Traeger and we had an opportunity that you can do anything you want right now. What do you want to do? I'm like, I want to keep cooking barbecue and writing about it on the Internet. Like that was my dream job. I wanted to keep doing it. So the fact that I get to do that as a job already successful regardless of anything else that comes from it like the fact that this is my job that I made up for myself and it's exactly what I want to be doing with my life and with my time done successful I have made it I have peaked everything on top now is just like such a such a like crazy unbelievable layer of frosting it's awesome so let's just check metrics a little bit in terms of other successful metrics you have 171,000 subscribers on YouTube. You have 116,000 followers on Instagram. That both of those numbers are amazing, but they pale in comparison to the basically 1 million followers that you have on Facebook. Um, yeah, that's pretty nuts. That's I don't an know. We got audience. lucky. So I will tell you, 
I've been in this game a really, really long time, right? So I started posting um, short recipe videos on Facebook. They're essentially, I think they're called TikTok now or Reels. Yeah. <laughs> I was posting those 60-second videos on Facebook um, like five years ago. And that was a time that they just performed really well. And they exploded. I had videos going viral. I think on Facebook, we accumulated somewhere over hundreds of thousands, 500,000 plus views or something like that. Just explosive growth on that particular platform, which is like great. Um, and now you see the same thing happening. Like those moments have come for people on TikTok and people on Instagram. And mm -hmm. you see barbecue creators now, like five years ago, having that many followers was like impossible in the barbecue space. It just wasn't happening. We got really lucky. Um, I'm seeing the same thing happen now on, on other social media platforms because they're posting the right content at the right time for the right audience. And I'm hoping that each one of them can turn the following that they've built online into a business that's really sustainable. We were super fortunate on Facebook that we were able to leverage the growth at that time into something that we could kind of build a foundation around. And now Facebook, like, yes, we get click-throughs occasionally and, you know, it's still a source of traffic for us. But, um, you know, those viral numbers come and, come and go and follower counts come and go. I've been at this long enough now that I can say like, the metrics are a little bit, a little bit irrelevant now after I've been in the game for so long. Um, but at the time they were wildly important and they helped us really build a foundation. So while I'm seeing like these cute youngins that are coming into this barbecue space exploding all over the place, I'm like, oh, please, please turn that into something. Like, please, please build something from this because it, you have the potential. Um, it was so funny. I was at an event launching they were launching a new grill they invited a few people to come out and two of the people that were at that event I'm like how long have you guys been in like the barbecue business barbecue space you know you're kind of talking work and they were like oh like three or four years they have like 900,000 followers on TikTok like 500,000 on Instagram I'm like oh my gosh you know I kind of like started to feel like I'm like a grandma that forgot how to like use the internet it got worse both of them were like, actually, when I first started cooking barbecue, I used a lot of recipes from your website. And I was like, oh, no, I made this. Like, I did. <laughs> I'm responsible for this. <laughs> then I felt really like a grandma. But it made me so thrilled that people who were not even in the barbecue space five years ago didn't, didn't even have a platform, didn't even have an inkling that barbecue was going to be the path they were going to walk in life. Uh, we're, we're able to find my website, find recipes that they could cook and then build from and build their own, like, you know, sense of, you know, recipe development or whatever the case that's, may be. And then yeah. leverage that into a career. I'm like, Oh, it's real cool. <laughs> that's it's incredible. Awesome. That's an incredible story. I did have two follow up. Do you remember the first recipe you wrote? The first recipe that I wrote, like on Hey Grill Hey or. Yeah. I, yeah. the first things that I posted on Hey Grill Hey, I did a series of content. So I did a brisket month. I did a ribs month. I did a pork, like pork shoulder pulled pork month. And I kind of just wanted to cover my basics. So I don't even think the first thing that I posted on Hey Grill Hey was a recipe. I think it was brisket 101. Um, because right. in people that I had talked to the most, that was the question that I was getting the most often. And the thing that I personally struggled with the most in the early days of my barbecue career was actually figuring out how to smoke a freaking brisket. And I smoked so many briskets trying to smoke a really good brisket. Um, I kind of felt like I could use that and tell people like, here's what you do in a very simple way. Um, you know, here are some things to do. Here are some things to avoid. So I think the first little category of posts on my website were all about smoking a brisket. And then I did a whole series on ribs, you know, low and slow style ribs, hot and fast ribs, three, two, one style ribs. I kind of broke down all the different ways you could cook ribs. And, uh, that was kind of the foundation that I started with was really, uh, pretty basic building blocks of barbecue knowledge. And then I got weird for a while. I was making all sorts of weird stuff just to see what would go viral. Like you see that right. now on social media, like people are cooking. So you're like, I ain't never making that. Um, so we did a bunch of weird stuff just to see like what would happen. And then we stopped yep. doing that. Cause I'm like, I'm not posting like weird stuff. I want people actually will make, but out of that experimentation era came hot dog burn ends. So that was a gift there that, you go. Keeps, that has Nothing. lived on. 
I think that recipe has gone viral now for at least 40 other barbecue people. So wow. It never dies. <laughs> what's the last uh what's the last cookbook that you read? Oh, my friend uh just came out with a cookbook a couple of weeks ago, Jocelyn Delk Adams. It's called Everyday Grand. And she's one of my great, great friends in the food content space. So I just got her book a couple of weeks ago and went out to her book signing in California. Very cool. And it's great. It's good to know that there are more of us out there that just uh, read cookbooks. Oh, my gosh. I have so many. Yeah, (laughs) I am reading currently a cookbook just called Chinese Street Food. Yeah. It's about this couple that goes to China three or four times a year and they write about all these food vendors that they read and read uh, meet in different provinces and spend time with and eventually weasel out. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Like 90% of the books on my Kindle are cookbooks, but that's a different whole other podcast. Yeah. This Um, is a whole world that I love to live in. It's great. Absolutely. So let's get into your habits and routines a little bit. What's your week look like in terms of content creation? Ooh, okay. Um, Mondays, I usually set aside for computer stuff because I have to get caught up with a lot of what actually it takes to run a website and run social media and run a product company. Um, I usually delete about a million emails before <laughs> I do anything <laughs> else for the day. So I get so many, so many spam emails. Um, I have my schedule. I'm like looking at my Monday schedule today. Uh, I usually take phone calls or podcast interviews on Mondays, anything that I can do where I'm like, this is my office day. This is my focus time. Uh, I type a lot of recipes on Mondays. Um, Mondays also we're working on, I'm actually working on my own cookbook right now. So awesome. Mondays, I also dedicate a little bit of time to, to cookbook writing and, and kind of sketching out recipes for what that's going to look like. Um, Tuesdays, we have like our, t- our team meeting with everybody. So Tuesday mornings we prep and then we get everybody. Our, my whole team is remote. So we hop on our Zoom calls every Tuesday. So we have an opportunity to kind of face-to-face a little bit and chat and problem solve. Um, and again, if I have more phone calls or stuff on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I've usually had as much computer as I can handle for the entire week. And <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm usually in the kitchen. We're filming, we're testing recipes, we're cooking and shooting um, and making cool stuff that I then have to take back to my computer and type out on Monday and Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) That's incredible. That's a great schedule. But you've also, you've stolen two of my questions with your answer because I was going to ask you about a cookbook, which is awesome that you're doing that. that's the problem is incredible. I'm self-publishing, so I don't have an editor to, like, crack the whip and be like, you have to turn in your manuscript on this day. I'm all, do I? Because it's me. I am the editor, oh, and I'm bad at cracking don't push own, me. the own whip. Don't push me, Susie, because I'll fill that role. I have an Will English you? degree. And Will I'm you be my accountability buddy for my cookbook? <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, I have now edited two cookbook really written the foreword for a couple Um, this might be like i said (laughs) this might be the year this is a very different year i uh i i got i have an english degree with a minor in political science so i still love my words i hate i hate videos on the internet which is why my youtube channel sucks because i'd rather (laughs) i'd rather write about it than than film something but um what was the other thing that you meant your team yeah. So that's incredible. How how do you go? How long did it take you to assemble your current team? You, I think you have ten people including yourself. Years and how do you find the right ones? That's got to be um, a, a challenge. It's kind of interesting the way that it panned out. So I actually the first person I ever hired was my sister, and she and I had worked at the same company prior to me starting Hey Grill Hey on their social media team. So I knew mm-hmm. that she knew her way around social media and that's where I needed the most help. This was during the time when I was having videos go viral on Facebook and I wanted to engage with my audience as much as possible, but I could not physically be on there enough hours a day liking and responding to people's comments. So I brought her on to help me uh, retain engagement and 
thank people for leaving comments or for the nice things they said or make stupid comments at people that made stupid comments. Like she's, she matches my level of like sass and low tolerance for dumb. So it was a perfect fit. She knew exactly what I sounded like. So she came on first and I actually, um, I was paying her before I was taking any money out of the business. Uh, so everything that I made from Hey Grill Hey was really in the early years, it was very hit or miss. It was very spotty. Um, occasionally I would get a brand that would reach out and want to work with me, but this was like pre influencer marketing being what it is today. It was like, nobody had a budget for influencer marketing. It was like a silly pretend thing that nobody knew about. And even ad right. buying and ad spend online was not what it is today. It was very, people were still like hard coding their own ads on their website when I started. So uh, we were kind of trying to navigate this world that was making money sometimes, but not making money other times. And so I just had a bank account that was tied to it. And everything that I made either went back into the business to buy new equipment, a better camera, a better lens, um, you know, anything that I could to um, even just food costs, honestly, to develop new recipes. Like it just went yeah. right back into the business or um invested in something that would help me grow so that I could have the time to keep making the recipes. So I started paying her to help me with social media first before I ever uh, even took money for myself. So she was my <laughs> first hire. And then it got to the point where I knew I needed some part-time help with copywriting and editing because I am great in the kitchen. Food is sometimes, or writing about the food is sometimes a little, I can talk about it for 80 hours. So I hired a copywriter and she would come to my house on recipe days and I would literally dictate the recipe to her and tell her exactly wow. what it tasted like and how I cooked it and what tips went into it. And she would type like a maniac and kind of compile what spewed forth from my mouth as nonsense into something <laughs> that was comprehensive and actually helpful. So there are tips. If you read my recipes, there are tips. I tell you exactly what ingredients you need. If there's a swap that's available um, techniques, things to look for. Like those are all baked into the recipe content before the recipe card even hits you. Um, because it can help you be successful from somebody who's doing it in real time, like talking about what works and what doesn't work. So she was my next hire. Um, and then she, I actually knew her from high school and I just posted a listing on Facebook. Like, does anybody I know write good because I need good write help now, please. And she was like, mm, I think maybe me because I use full sentences and punctuation. <laughs> so she was, <laughs> she was a big help. She's been with me for um, over four years now uh, full time. So she started working with me part time for like a year and a half. And then I brought her on full time four years ago. We have a full time social media manager now who's not my sister. I finally kicked my sister out and made her start her own website because she is an amazing cook as well. So if you like like family style recipes that aren't necessarily barbecue. If you're looking for like dinner and ideas and all that feeding your fam.com. She's amazing. I'm like, you can't work for me anymore because you're too talented to be answering my social media questions. You need to be writing your own recipes, please. So That's she's, awesome. she's killing it. Um, food blogging at her website now, but, uh, anyway, so we, I honestly have found people through like collections. I put, like I said, I put a post on Facebook when we were ready to hire full-time. I also invited my part-time employees to apply like, Hey, you should apply too. I ended up hiring two of my part-time employees and creating two full-time jobs for them, which was really cool. Um, but we got a, a letter from somebody when I put out that call for a full-time job. And he said, you know, I'm not qualified for this at all. Um, and I don't know if you would ever want to work with me. It was one of Todd's friends, like, you know, from kindergarten. He was like, but he like wrote me a cover letter for his resume and was like, I know that I am not qualified for this job. But like, if you take a chance on me, it could be something freaking awesome. I didn't end up hiring him uh, right then because he did. He literally could not do what I needed. <laughs> but <laughs> But when we launched the product company uh, a year later, we were able to bring him on as our operations manager for our product company. And he does all of our fulfillment, runs the entire warehouse, all of our acquisition of products. And he's absolutely amazing and fits the role perfectly. So he was applying for a job that I didn't even have created or envisioned yet when he sent me that resume. But uh, we were able to bring him on when we launched the product company. And it's been awesome. We have a full-time marketing director uh, that I actually hired away from a grill company that I was working with. Um, so sorry to those guys. I love them. Um, but he, was, he really understood 
um, my business. He really understood what, uh, what my website did to generate revenue and how our products fit into the market space. And he really advocated for me to work with this company uh, because he knew the impact that we could have. So it made a lot of sense to bring him on and and to help our product company grow because he kind of knew what it was like from the inside before he started. So honestly, we've hired people that that know us and that kind of get us and are willing to invest um, their time and their talents and their energy into our business. And it's the most amazing thing, I will tell you, having never been a business owner um, and thinking that my life was just going to be posting barbecue recipes online. It's been weirdly fulfilling being able to be a part of a, a company culture and a company community where everybody's invested and everybody's excited to see this thing grow and what it can become. And I think it feels like now that we kind of have our team in place, it's like the sky's the limit. Um, so it's really fun. It's a, it's a super fun time right now. We're in like a crazy, crazy little period of time here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everybody bought a grill during COVID, so now they need to learn how to Jeez. Eat. Yeah, they yeah. <laughs> People are like, grill cells are flat. And I'm like, yeah, because there were three years they where everybody left their house. Yeah. yeah. So they bought all the grills. Absolutely. What are some of your best tips for people who want to start filming their cooks and shooting their food at their homes? Hit the record button. I think the biggest uh, barrier for people getting started is thinking that they have to do a good job right out the gate. Um, I made a lot of really crappy content. I made a lot of really crappy recipes. I made a lot of really crappy videos. There are things that you will never see on the website and things that I think maybe if you dig far enough or search deep enough into our archives, you'd look at and be like, oh, like she put, she put that out there. Like she intentionally hit that publish button, like on purpose with that one. Um, you know, nobody's good at anything when they first get started. And video is not a natural default setting for a lot of us. It's, it's just not. Um, but if you can just hit record and then when you're done, watch it. If you're bored, figure out when you get bored and why. And then next time, when you're like, oh, this is the board point, like maybe change your camera angle, maybe show something else, maybe, I don't know, do a dance on the camera. I don't know. Um, but, you know, you, you have to make some bad crap before you make good stuff. And <laughs> people are so scared of making bad stuff. Like, I mean, listen, the worst case scenario is somebody's going to comment and be like, this is not good. This is bad. This is a bad video. And from somebody who is currently making probably better videos than I've ever made in my life and just read a YouTube comment this week about how my video sucked, like you will never make everybody happy ever. There's no way to also two comments down. Somebody else said, this is the best video you've ever made. So there's just no, there's no pleasing people. Right. Um, there's no, there's no like upper or lower bar of what is good or bad. It's all personal preference at this point. So hit the record button, start making stuff and be okay. If it's terrible, doesn't mean you have to post it. If you don't want to, that's fine. Just keep it just for you to watch um, when you want to feel bad about yourself and then you can just watch it again. Uh, but <laughs> make the, make the bad videos. Like it's okay. It's okay to make bad videos sometimes. I, I feel like you're speaking directly to me at this point Great. because hit the record I get button. lost. I get lost on that. I, it took me a year to listen to this podcast after <laughs> I started doing it because I absolutely hated my voice being recorded. Yeah. And I was, I said, people were like, man, that was really good. And I'm like, was it? Was it? You know, this guy from New Zealand's like, you were like the Barry White of barbecue. And I'm like, no, stop. Like, I want to cut my voice box out whenever I hear it. But, yeah, no, that's great advice. This podcast is brought to you by BarbecueData.com. BarbecueData.com is your one-stop shop for all of your barbecue competition data. Historical data, calls, wins, placements, everything under one roof. It's a great way not only to track yourself in the standings, but also to track how you improve your scores from year to year. Listeners of this podcast can receive 20% off of a new subscription to BarbecueData.com with the code PITPOD. That's one word, 
all capital letters, P-I-T-P-O-D, PITPOD. So check your team scores, check on others, and do it all on barbecuedata.com. How do you deal initially with those, with the negativity and the crap that goes on online with comments like that? It's, I find that also hard to deal with sometimes. And do you have any strategies or do you just ignore? <laughs> I mean, having somebody now to help me manage my social media comments actually does help a lot because sometimes I'm, I'm protected from some of the worst of it occasionally. Um, but I think um, there are a couple of different ways that I've thought about it over the years that have helped. A couple of different quotes. Uh, the first quote is, I think it's from Oprah Winfrey. She says, you never believe the best or the worst things people say about you. Um, and it's because it's just not so far on either end of the spectrum, right? Right. The best things, if they're talking about you, then they're trying to like butter you up for some reason, right? Like a genuine compliment isn't like, wow, you are just the most beautiful, kind and loving person I've ever known in my life. It's like, you know, that you're just like waiting for something and it feeds right. your ego because it feels nice to hear nice things. Um, and on the flip side, the worst things people say about you, like if it doesn't immediately align, like, oh yeah, that's true. If you're like, oh, that's like, oh, that's like dark and it hurts. Like that's, that's probably not reality. So being able to just kind of immediately hack off both ends of that keeps you in a safer space in the middle where it's just like, oh, nope, we're not registering those. Like we just move past the highest and the lowest and kind of shoot for the middle. Uh, I actually love feedback because it helps me make better content. Again, we, we kind of sure. had this bad habit for a while of just throwing spaghetti at the wall, uh, like trying different recipes, trying different videos. Like I said, I made some crappy videos. I made some crappy recipes. Uh, and that, have you heard that expression? Like throw spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. Like yep. the only problem was I was never looking back to see what was sticking and what wasn't. I was just throwing spaghetti and then like running Still away. Like I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know what was working and what wasn't working. I didn't want to hear people's feedback. I just wanted to keep making stuff, you know, cause that's kind of a popular, that's kind of a popular opinion in the world of online creators is like, never listen to feedback, keep your head down, do what you're doing, move forward. Like never listen to outside opinions, like laser focus. And so I was like, okay, right. let's go. Like I bought into that kind of like productivity, like bro hype a little bit. Um, the problem was that I wasn't like serving my audience the best because I wasn't listening to them. Uh, and when right. I'm providing something for somebody, like I want to know that they're receiving it and that it's working for them. So if somebody has feedback about like a recipe or something, I take those very seriously. And I really listen to that. Even if they cuss me out because I ruined Easter or something, like I want to know what <laughs> happened so that I can have, that's real. I've, I've ruined many people's, I don't know, pick something where they didn't read the recipe or they skipped a step or they missed something. Or, you know, in one case I wrote uh, two tablespoons in like the ingredients and I left it out of the steps. Like real things happen. Like real humans make real mistakes. And if I'm not listening to that feedback, like there's, there's no progress. There's no moving forward. There's not serving my audience. So um, I actually like, I, I don't hate, negative comments. I, I think if they're constructive and they're useful, I really do internalize those and I try to use them to become better and, and to grow. So, uh, cool. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, then there's, then there's the raving lunatics and I liken those to people. Like if you were just walking down the street and somebody yelled out of their car that you don't know, you're stupid and your face is stupid and your hair is ugly. And I hate everything about you and everything you've ever done. You'd be like, cool story, bro. And then you wouldn't think about it again. You know, you'd be like, that was alarming, but it wouldn't change how you view yourself. So sometimes if somebody's really ranty in that kind of way, I just imagine them driving by and yelling it out a window and then they're gone. And then I never think about it again. So that, that kind of, that's, that's great. I, I got one last night and I'm not nearly up at those levels, but somebody tagged me on Facebook and said, right now on the cooking channel, Barbecue across America, Luke Darnellis crying while slicing a brisket. That was a beautiful moment. And <laughs> it was, and it's real. I do it all the time. And I, I looked at the comment and I was like, I don't know 
if this is intended as a jab or a compliment or so I just said I said twas a damn good brisket and I just left it at that and he wouldn't like the comment so it made me feel like okay cool but I I I think also your commitment to interacting with those things is is pretty you have to interact with your audience I think that's a big thing and I think honestly we get a lot less negativity because there's no way for you to drop and run in my community. Like either I'll reply to you or one of my followers will reply to you and they'll be like, excuse me. Like, do you know where you are? We've really built an amazing community of followers that, um, that support each other and cheer each other on. And I think it starts with the tone that I've kind of tried to set from the beginning. Like this isn't an elitist space. This isn't a judgmental space. I don't care what you cook on. I don't care how much you spent on it. I don't care what your backyard looks like. I don't care how much barbecue experience you have because I came from none. So it doesn't matter your barbecue pedigree. It doesn't matter the awards you've won. Do you want to cook good food? Me too. Let's hang out. Like that's the vibe from the get-go. And that's what we try to present to people. And so when somebody shows up that's like trying to like be sassy or start something, the the rest of our audience is kind of like, they won't have it either. They're like, are you new? Like, this is not, I don't, I I think you showed up to the wrong party. Like, I don't think this is where you belong. So we really don't deal with a lot of it um, because we just kind of don't tolerate it. Like, we'll engage and kind of call you out on it. Or if it's horrendous, we'll just delete and block and never address it and move on with our lives. Because I cannot have that kind of like time or emotional availability to show up for that many people who are that upset. Like, I got three kids and a husband who I need to help take care of, you know, like plus a whole team. That's my big thing. Like, man, I don't have time to give you any of my like emotional space. So. Yeah. I, that's amazing. And that's, that's a good, how are you on time? Cause I don't want to eat up all of your time. I'm good. Okay, good. Cause I have more questions. <laughs> okay. Keep going. I do. I do have one employee, and he edits this podcast. He's not really employee because it does it for free, but uh, he'll <laughs> edit out this side chatter. Um, so I do have a team, which is amazing. Let's see, I already asked that question. Okay, one of the cool things that you've done is you've got to do a lot of TV, and I really enjoyed your season, the Barbecue Brawl, and how you were how you carried yourself on there. You were really real. I felt when you're filming for TV, do you have any routines or rituals that you do before you go on camera to get you in the right space, the right frame of mind for that? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know. I don't think I've like established a routine or ritual. I'm not a particularly superstitious person. And, uh, I don't know. So I don't like, I don't like carry a lucky rabbit's foot or anything. <laughs> I think I just recite over and over, like, don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I did tell the producers on barbecue brawl specifically because I knew it was a reality based competition show. And I say reality based because it's based on reality. Um, and you know, but it's TV. So, so many things are edited and, and so much changes and they can make you look any way they want you to look and they can present your personality any way they want to present your personality. Right. So my biggest thing was anytime we were going into interviews or they were asking me questions, I always just tried to choose kindness first. I was never going to talk crap on anybody I was never going to throw shade on anybody's food. I was never going to say that my stuff is the best and the greatest and the most superior because I don't have that kind of ego. And it felt disingenuous to me to try and walk in there and be like, I'm the champion. Like, let's go. Cause that's, that's not who I am. Additionally, additionally, I walked into that television show. They don't tell you who else is on the show. They said, we're meeting up in the lobby the night before we record so that everybody can meet everybody before we head to set tomorrow morning. I walk into this lobby. I want, this is probably one of the most like belly dropping moments of my life. Like worse than any <laughs> roller coaster, any, I, I walk in Tuffy stone, Chris Lilly, 
Mo Kaysan, Leanne Whippin, uh, Carrie Bringle, Kevin Blood. So like that season was a stacked. It was stacked. Okay. I texted my husband. I get back to my hotel room. I'm like, Todd, keep the bed warm. I will see you tomorrow night. Like I am leaving the first day of this competition. I am underqualified to be here. I have no experience in competition barbecue, mind you. So cooking under a specific time crunch or with different ingredients, you know, I was like, nope. Um, and I knew who was there. And I was like, they played me in that show very accurately. Like you say real because it was like, she is a blogger about <laughs> barbecue. Like that's her real job. And there's no way to spin it to make me seem like I actually have authority. Because in that competitive space, I, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any experience. I don't have any awards. I don't have any bragging rights. Nobody knew who I was. Uh, Kevin Bloodsoe came up to me the next day and he was like, oh, you're the prime rib girl. And I was like, pardon? And he's like, I was telling my kids who was there and they were like, dad, you cooked her prime rib recipe for Christmas. That's our prime rib girl. And I was like, okay, one person. I got one person here who knows who I am. Joe Pierce, freaking Joe Pierce. Yeah. Joe Pierce. Anyway. Who incidentally was the first person off that year. Incidentally, he was robbed, but we were all robbed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's what you say, right? Anyway, so that was the most, probably the most intimidated and overwhelmed and unqualified I've ever felt about anything in my entire life. So when it came to a ritual for getting ready, I really think I spent the morning before that first episode going, don't cut yourself, don't cut yourself, don't cut yourself, don't be an idiot, don't cut yourself. I cut myself on a can, a, not a knife, a can, opening a, a freaking can. So that happened. I was like, well, I got that out of the way early. I can't be worse than that. It did. It got right. worse. I got picked last. They lined us up freaking middle school, elementary gym style. And Michael and Bobby went through and picked their team. I got picked the butt last of all of the people because, and I, I quote Michael Simon when he said, Bobby and I sat back there and they gave us a one sheet of each of the competitors. And Bobby said, I don't want a fucking blogger on my team. And so they both thought I was going to be the garbage. And so I got picked the most last. <laughs> I it was doesn't like, it feel it, great though it legitimately cannot get worse so I think uh I think by having every single thing that I didn't want to have happen happen in that very first like two hours of the competition I was like okay game on like I I, I nothing can get worse now I could just cook like all the nerves were right. gone all the terrible things were gone and I was able to just be myself and cook at that point and then every time I had did tv after that I kind of felt like, okay, at least it, it can never be that bad again. Like everything else right. will be fine. It can never be that bad again. You had your, but did you die moment, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was. And watching it back, like talking about watching yourself back, that was, they made me look so much better on TV than it was in real life. So I was like, that was so nice of them. They, I didn't even think they showed my finger getting cut on the can. And how I, I don't like, remember it's it. It's a can. It's a can cut. Like, it was... and I might have watched it recently to get ready for this, and I don't Gosh. remember you getting cut. I'm pretty sure they um, edited out. It was great. Wow, that's a, that's an incredible story. <laughs> Everything I didn't <laughs> want to happen happened. <laughs> All of it, like in, immediately. So you know, at that point, kind those... of, what do you got to lose? Right. And having being intimidated like that has to be one of the biggest biggest challenges of doing a show like that. I mean, I think any competition barbecue space where you walk in and you know that the field is stacked, it's kind of like, okay, like we're gonna do what we can do, I guess. Um, but yeah. I was just so I was so out of my element. I was so the only thing that I had going for me in that show, and I think in barbecue in general. I write recipes for a living. I cook every kind of food all of the time. And those competition shows, that's what they ask of you. And they ask it of you on the yeah. fly. 
you're not going to walk into a competition television show where they're going to say, we're going to cook brisket, pulled pork, ribs, and chicken. And it's a KCBS style turn in and you can use kale or parsley as a garnish. Like that's never the scenario for a competition barbecue show, right? Right. They're always going to give you a twist. They're always going to make something weird and interesting. They're always going to throw something at you that you're not prepared for. Or you're unable to handle. And I think one of my strengths in that particular show was that I had a library of recipes, a couple hundred things deep that I had cooked and tested and felt like I had perfected. And so when they said, we need you to cook this thing with three sides, I was like, solid, boom, 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 boom. I made that for my family two weeks ago. Like it was already in my arsenal where a lot of barbecue competition people, when you're practicing barbecue, when you're cooking barbecue, when you're competing in barbecue, um, you're cooking the same few things over and over again and really perfecting those. As a food blogger, I was cooking everything all of the time. So I think it just gave me a slightly deeper, you know, reference to jump off of. And I think that's really what helped get me as far as it did in the competition. You had a lot more weapons at your disposal. That's yeah. And that's all about being prepared. One of the cool things that I read about before you went on your first TV appearance was the idea of being a female pitmaster in this male dominated space. And that's a huge deal, um, especially on this podcast. And I try and interview as many women as I can that are in the space because I think it's super important as we have a younger generation that are not only getting into the competition world, but also just getting into the, the grilling world to have excellent role models and, and knowing that that was something that was important to you in the beginning was pretty cool. Yeah. And honestly, it was less about women in barbecue and more about women being anywhere they wanted to be. <laughs> if that makes right. sense. Yeah, because no, I have a daughter and she's 14 now and like she can cook or whatever, but it's not her calling. Like barbecue is not her passion and her calling and the thing that she loves the most in the world. So she didn't, it didn't really matter to her that mom was in barbecue. It mattered to her that mom was in a space that used to be a lot of dudes. And now there's a lot more women. And she saw that progression happen. She's born witness to that progression because she saw me kind of starting out a little bit alone. There were only a couple of us. And now I have a whole group of friends that are all females in the barbecue space. And we work together and we help each other. And she's been able to see that progression happen. And I think it's given her a lot of that kind of sense of confidence that, oh, like any anything really is an option. Um, even if it's not easy when I first start, it doesn't mean that it's not going to be great or that it that, that it's not possible. Right. Um, and specifically in the barbecue space, it has been so cool. Cause like I said, when I first started, I think there was just a couple Jess Pryles was really, you know, doing some really cool things at the time. Uh, Christy Vanover started hers, I think a week after I started mine, like we both kind of jumped in almost identical time. Uh, Keita Roberts at girl carnivore was doing some really cool meat stuff at the time. And, uh, Mary Kressler from Vindulge. And we kind of all were like, like, let's be best friends. <laughs> let's be best friends and share each other's stuff and talk about each other and help each other. And to now uh, where you look on social media and there are hundreds, if not thousands of women cooking barbecue and receiving a lot of support and feeling a lot more confident in this space. And that's just online. I know that it's been happening in the competition space as well. And, you know, more women teaching classes, more women, you know, walking up on stage. And it's so cool to see it happen in real time. Not that there weren't women before, but just so much, there were so many less of them that it felt more significant. You know, you get the standouts, you get the Melissa Cookston and the Diva Q and the Leanne Whippin because that was all there was. There were, there were only those, those handfuls of women that were really kind of showing up and showing out in the competition space at the time. So it's fun to see uh, such a larger progression of women entering the, the community. And it's, it's, it's really it's, fun to feel like I'm a part of it. Well, and to see my wife move forward in that community, you know, from being known yeah. as the person who made and took the boxes to the person who actually cooked the chicken that won the American Royal. 
And that's what I'm talking about. And went out and showed people how to cook briskets on a gateway. That's awesome to me. And, and that she gets that respect from other pit masters is very cool to me um, to see her move through it, you know, because I'm pretty sure if she, we went cut contest head to head, she'd probably kick the crap out of me because she, she's the taste. She's the, she's the, the recommendation of changes. She's got tiny hands as opposed to these things and the detail work that I can't do that gets us <laughs> points. I mean, I just can't do it and I don't have the brain for it either. So to, to have a true teammate like that, I think gives That's me amazing. a huge advantage, especially as gives us an advantage as a team. Um, man, it's been so much fun talking to you, but now the difficult part of the interview is coming. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. It's the rapid fire questions. Oh, okay. These are great. Okay. There's going to be one yeah. you're going to hate, but I'm going to ask oh. it first. Okay. <laughs> what do you see about barbecue on social media that upsets or bothers you? Um, cooking crappy recipes just for engagement and views. And it, it only bothers me because I played that game. And so I know exactly what they're doing. And I'm like, you could just make good stuff. Like you don't have to make like inflammatory or insane things just for the engagement and just for the views. Like I get why they're doing it. I don't hold it against them because I did the same thing. Like it's, it's a trap that we fall into, but that's all. And then people bite and they comment and they complain about squeezing briskets or whatever. I don't know. Anyway. So yeah. 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 Yeah, That one bothers me because I spent a lot of time on the YouTube trying to figure out where my space is. And I watched about three hours of videos one day and I'm like, I think I learned less about barbecue than I learned. Yeah. I learned I mean, like a lot of bad things. There's a lot of bad information out there. And yeah. either it's bad information or it's just posted, like I said, to get to get the comments rolling. It actually has nothing to do with helping people, which is fine. If you're just going for entertainment value, I get that it has its own purpose. Um, but anyway, I just want, I like, all I want to do is help people. Like I want to be the Yoda to your Skywalker so that when you're like, I don't know how to choose good from evil, or if I'm strong enough to make this brisket, like I can hold your hand and walk you through it. And like, it'll be fine. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's yeah. the role that I see myself playing now in the space. So I I really cool. value people that try to, I always say anything that's good for barbecue is good for me. Like the, the more Absolutely. barbecue progresses and the more people get into barbecue and want to cook like that for their families and love and experience the community and the culture and all of the things that actually surround, like all the extra amazing fringe benefits that come with just like cooking better food. Like that's like the core thing, but like, philosophically it's a much larger bigger and more beautiful thing and um so i just want to do everything that i can to help people step into that space and when you see stuff online that's inflammatory and causes people arguments in the comment section and there's a lot of anger and rage and like ah like divisiveness i'm like no that's opposite that's opposite to what barbecue is about you know Right. Like it just doesn't align with like my personal morals and values and beliefs about what like barbecue is like going to heal the world probably. And so when I see people intentionally starting fights or making people angry because they're trying to drive that engagement through inflammatory stuff, I'm like, don't divide my community. Like don't, don't make people think that the barbecue space is like a mean or an angry one because it's not. Right. It's not. So I had to change this question for you because it's normally what is one of your favorite pre, during, or post-competition meals? But if you had to cook one thing just for your own enjoyment, barbecue-related, what would it be? Barbecue-related? Oh. It doesn't have to be barbecue-related. Okay. Be, oh, okay. If it was cooked I, outside. I mean, it's not. I really love... <laughs> I'm doing this wrong. Um, I really love homemade pasta. I have like a pasta machine oh, yes. and a semolina flour, and I love I love homemade pastas. 
So it has nothing to do with barbecue at all, but it's kind of like my like comfort food where barbecue is work for me so much. Like I love everything about barbecue, but when I want to cook for like relaxation and comfort and like all of that, it's like I'm, I'm making pasta. (laughs) I recently got the little KitchenAid thing and made pasta for the first time. And it's almost like meditation a little bit. It is. It's the most, I don't know why. It's so soothing. It's like on par with trimming a brisket. Like I would happily trim briskets without ever cooking them. Trimming briskets is like, I I love, I have, there's a lot of just like the consistency, you know, the, and that's very similar to like making pasta. It's like that, you know, the process. I hate trimming brisket, but. That's because you trim them like a competition cook. Oh, a lot more work. Backyard barbecue is a lot, a lot chiller. <laughs> it's way more chill. What is your favorite present that you like to give to people? Oh, that's a good question. Present that I like to give to people. It depends on the person. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a gift like caterer. I, I cater gifts to people based on who they are. Um, but like sure. one of my default presents, and this is partly because I'm lazy and a procrastinator, but I'll put together like our, our rubs and sauces. And usually it's like a, it's a hit because people like to cook barbecue, but they're like, Oh, I haven't tried this flavor. And also I have boxes of them in my pantry at all times. That makes it easy. (laughs) But I'm like, honestly, um, what, what I do the most is I feed people. So my friend just had her 40th birthday and I did not give her a present. I made her entire birthday party a taco bar. So like that's like food is truly like one of my love languages. And so if I have the opportunity to invite you over and feed you or bring you food, I'll probably do that as a gift before I do anything else. And when I don't have to have time to cook something, I'll give you a bottle of my food to help you make more food. <laughs> that's a great answer. All right. Last question. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, getting a message out to millions of or billions of people, what would it say and why? Um, I can help you make better barbecue. Or alternatively, this is something we say a lot. It's kind of our like slogan. So I want to help you make better barbecue so you can feed the people you love. I mean, I'm a backyard barbecue hero because I really think there's, like I said, I, I have a lot of philosophical beliefs about the power of barbecue and how it's kind of this magical thing. It's a real unifier. It's a real community builder. It's a real relationship strengthener. Um, I think it can help strengthen families and neighborhoods and communities. And uh, if I can teach you how to make better barbecue so that it's easier, it's more accessible, it's more fun. And you can feed the people that you care about and you receive like the intrinsic benefit of feeling like I did a freaking awesome thing. And then all the people that you love come up and tell you, you did a freaking awesome thing. Like there's, there's so much power in that. And I think, uh, I think barbecue is a good start. I think it's Anthony Bourdain. He said, I don't know the cure to, or, or I don't know how to create world peace or something, but barbecue might be a start. Like, I think that's like a real, that's a real, real thing. And so whatever I can do to help barbecue be like a starting place for people to kind of move towards a lifestyle of more like simple pleasures and family and relationships and slowing down and taking the time and making the food and loving your people. uh, I really consider it an honor and a privilege that that's part of what I get to do for work. Um, you know, there's a lot of the logistics stuff behind it. Like, what are we posting when and how did it turn out? And, you know, all all the work work that goes into making a really beautiful post on the website or a really beautiful post on social media. Um, but the result of that is hopefully somebody cooking it at home and being able to convey what they saw on the Internet to something real and have it turn out awesome and, you know, receive all those intrinsic and fringe benefits that come with it. Yep. That was a lot longer than a billboard. No, the initial, yeah, it's, there's nothing (laughs) better than teaching a class and someone sends you a picture and they tell you that everybody loved it and they were able to execute it. That to me has been a huge fringe benefit of what barbecue has done for me. 
yeah is being able to teach people how to do that so Susie, it's been amazing talking with you thank you so much i really appreciate thanks for it. having uh, me on heygrillhay.com is your window into her entire world you can access <laughs> youtube from there you can access her products from there i highly recommend her youtube channel and her instagram there's a great reel of the shields experience on there for a great little video and we'll probably have some content next week i would imagine in memphis yeah i need we need to make a memphis video for youtube i think absolutely i think it'd be a great yep. time absolutely so. <laughs> i'll bring my cameras I'll I will bring my cameras that sit. You just bring your very white of barbecue voice, okay? That's all we need from you. <laughs> we'll do. We'll see you next week. Hey, see you, Luke. Thank you for listening to Pitmaster, an old Virginia Smoke podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like the podcast, rate the podcast, and share it out with all your friends. Also, be sure to check out the Old Virginia Smoke YouTube channel as well. Tune in next week for another great episode of Pitmaster. For companies interested in advertising, please contact Old Virginia Smoke directly via www.oldvirginiasmoke.com. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is edited by Chris Sedanka. Pitmaster, an Old Virginia Smoke podcast, is a property of Old Virginia Smoke, LLC. All rights reserved.